Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to season seven of Owning It, the Anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This episode is coming out to you if you're listening to it as it drops very, very early on in the new year in, what year is it? 2022? I don't even know anymore. I feel like I've just missed a couple of years there. But this is a time of year where people are maybe considering a change, a change in their life, a change in their job. Lots of different changes can happen, but change is a massive source of anxiety for a lot of my listeners, myself included. So I'm joined here by Dr. Harry Barry, who I had on before. He's back. He's got another book out now. He's got about 15,000 books. They're all worth listening to. This one is called Embracing Change. I'll pop a link in the podcast notes. And we talk about how to handle the anxiety of two different kinds of change. So the change that requires you to take some action, such as will I leave this job and go for a new one? Will I break up with this person that I don't know I should be with anymore? And then the change, such as a pandemic, which seems to hit us like a freight train and come out of the blue. We also talk in great detail about our need, for, particularly my need for control and how a lot of my anxiety stems from this need to be in control. He does a little bit of a, a therapy session with me towards the end as well. So hopefully you will relate to that, especially if you're a new parent and I hope you find it as helpful as I did. Thank you as always for all of your feedback, any of the the shares or reviews or any social media mentions. It makes the world a difference to get the podcast out there. So I really appreciate it and thank you for listening. Dr. Harry Barry, thank you so much for joining me once again on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I get a lot of messages from people saying certain episodes have resonated with them. I've probably gotten the most messages about our episode that we did around managing anxiety. So I want to start by just thanking you for that and all of the wisdom you shared with us before. Not at all. It was an absolute pleasure. And, you know, if we can go, if we can just keep up this mantra of normalizing anxiety and so that we can all stop being literally afraid of anxiety. You know, anxiety is actually reasonably simple once we start to understand it properly. And once we learn techniques, we can, you know, we can really sort out a lot of the issues, whether it's acute anxiety, social anxiety, general anxiety. Uh, I think it's really important that we all have the power within us to, to change. 
One of the techniques that you shared was something I was probably already doing, but you put a name on it and something that really helped people was this whole concept of flooding. And I would love, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, if you could just take us back to explaining what flooding is, because that for me, that has been how I've gotten to a point of feeling well, is being able to ride those waves. Yeah, it's uh, that's fantastic, uh, Caroline. So flooding is really, it, it's, it's, it's been an astonishing response worldwide, really, because it's not just come from Ireland, but I've had really people contact from all over the world from watching some videos and reading my books and things like that. But flooding is a very simple technique. The real secret to acute anxiety, like panic attacks and phobias in particular, particularly these two uh, types of acute anxiety is that they're very visceral, they're very physical. And the difficulty that people have been having over the years is been trying to apply cognitive or thinking kind of ways to something that's actually quite physical or visceral. So all that these, uh, all that panic attacks and phobias are in real life are actually these incredible bursts of adrenaline or fear hormone uh, crashing through our body. Do you know what I mean? Giving us these bursts of heart fast and stomach and knots and shaking and sweating and all the rest of it. And the trouble is then we start to get afraid of these uh, physical symptoms. And once we start to become afraid of them, then a little organ in our brain called the amygdala starts to unfortunately respond every time we even think about them, off we go again. So we keep getting bout after bout after bout. So the whole trick, of course, was to, as we talked about the last time, is to firstly to, to, to take away the fear or the danger out of these symptoms, that there are no dangers associated with these physical symptoms. And you can trust me, uh, after four decades of being a, a medical doctor, you're not going to drop dead, you're not going to die, you're not going to collapse or stop breathing, you're never going to lose control. The most important one of all, you will never lose control, you're not going mad, and people don't see you. These are the big dangers that we all have in relation to these. And I think what we're left with then is the discomfort of these physical symptoms, and that's the bit that people don't realise that they're running away from. They're actually running away from the fact that these are very, very uncomfortable. So flooding is a very simple technique where we visualize that we're stuck to the ground and we allow these physical symptoms to wash over us. We actually embrace the physical symptoms, go with the physical symptoms. And of course, um, this is the complete opposite of what we normally do, where we normally chase out of the area, try and use um, breathing techniques or tranquilizers or look for reassurance. Uh, we do all the wrong things, really. Whereas, in fact, we don't have to do anything because these symptoms are not dangerous. They're just uncomfortable. So if we learn to kind of go with them, stay with these physical symptoms, visualize you're stuck to the ground or stuck to the seat and go with them. What uh, Two things happen. Your amygdala changes its memory and begins to shut down this adrenaline response. And secondly, it remembers the next time. So you'll notice the next time you get them, they're not quite so severe. And each time uh, that you use flooding, each time you go with the physical symptom, you'll find you're gradually getting better and better and better. And suddenly you notice that these begin to fade out of your life altogether. And countless people have got rid of their phobias and panic attacks and learn to live normal lives by a very, very simple technique. For people with general anxiety, use modified flooding, which uh, in, in general anxiety, we have to kind of use a slightly different technique because you're getting these more low grade physical symptoms. So modified flooding is simply learning to treat these symptoms if they're low grade throughout the day as background noise. 
So we use things like the radio exercise to deal with those. So that's flooding in, in a nutshell for those who haven't come across it before or haven't heard it before. Yeah, it's so simple and it's so powerful and it seems so counterintuitive to what your body wants to do, which is to run away from it. And I tried that for so long and I just, the more I resisted, the more tension I created. And when you can take the fear out of those feelings, they really start to become fewer and farther between those, those more acute experiences you speak of. And then when you do feel them, you are much more capable of, le- of letting it happen. And I think for me, what's really important as well as flooding is is how we speak to ourselves in the aftermath. I got a message from someone the other day saying, I keep having these anxiety setbacks and I'm just I'm so frustrated with myself. Like I can't believe I'm going backwards. And I got back to her and I said, it's your perception of the anxiety, in my opinion, that's keeping you stuck here because you are being so hard on yourself for the fact that you had an anxious response to something. And when you can swap that out for being like, okay, well, of course, I felt anxious. We have a lot going on right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I, I think that's really good, Caroline. What you said there is really important. I think one of the mistakes that people make is they they, they don't distinguish though between acute bursts of anxiety, like phobias and panic attacks, and just yeah. general anxiety. Now, it's normal for all of us to get anxious. Like if we if we weren't anxious or stressed in the middle of a pandemic, we'd never be. Yeah. And I don't know anybody, anybody I know, and I don't know anybody, including myself, who hasn't had periods of anxiety where we're worrying during, in, in what we call normal levels of anxiety, you know. Now, if those levels are, are, are getting a little bit, a little bit more elevated, well, the first thing to do is, is, is don't try to give out to yourself. Try to understand them a little bit and learn simple techniques to manage them. That's a much more practical way of doing it. We're, we're all very hard. I know, Caroline, we talked at length about the rating game, where we all play this game where we're very hard on ourselves. We have to be much kinder to ourselves and just say, look, you know, um, th- these are techniques that we have to, that takes a little bit of time to learn. So be kind to yourself. Don't, don't give out to yourself if you get anxious. I mean, that's a bit like saying, you know, I shouldn't be sad. You know, if I if 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 I lose somebody close to me, you know, we 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 these are normal emotions. Always validate your emotions, accept them. Don't be hard on yourself because you're having them, but then look at the thinking behind them. I guess for me, and you will let me know. There's there's two kinds of change. There's change that you come up against yourself, and then there's change that just happens to us out of the blue, such as nobody saw the pandemic coming. This episode is going out in the very beginning of January. So we're at a time of year where everyone is trying to take on a lot of change, perhaps, and feeling pressure. So why is change like this so hard? Well, change is, is hard for us all. And you're quite right. There are different types of change. Like change can be acute change where suddenly something suddenly happens to us we're not expecting. It can be more chronic change um, where we see, for example, aging is an example of, of, uh, of change that goes on over a much longer period of time. Um, we can have climate change. We can have a pandemic, which are thing. Climate change is more slow, gradual thing, which we've all been uh, the pandemic is a sudden thing that happened to us all. So change can come in all different types and forms. The, the question you've asked is really important. Why does change bother us at all? And the, uh, and the reason, there are two reasons really. The first one is because change affects us emotionally. We don't realise that, but all of us are individually, according to how we think about life, our, cha- our change gets us in particular ways. Some of us get anxious, some of us get annoyed, some of us get frustrated, some of us get ashamed, some of us uh, 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 may, may feel, uh, for example, very down. So change has a, has, will, will get us 
uh, you know, with, our, with whatever emotion is the one that we normally go to. Uh, the second thing is that change requires us to do something critically important. And you've heard me talk so much about resilience and all the rest of it, but change is about adapting. And we, we find it very difficult. Human beings, the brain is designed, believe it or not, Caroline, to, to keep things nice and stable. The brain loves it. It uses the least energy when things are nice and settled. So the brain always tries to bring things back to the status quo. And therefore, as human beings, we've always, you know, almost pushed against change. We don't like it. It, it, it kind of requires a lot of emotional effort. A, 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 you know, a, it requires a lot of adapting. And as human beings, we don't really like to do that. So if we can get out of doing that, we, we do. So, so I think it's really important that we, we do. We accept that change is inevitable. It's going to happen to every person listening to me. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've had to adapt and change to numerous things coming from every possible source. And I'm just a normal human being like everybody listening to me. So all of you would be experiencing change, a change in your personal life, change uh, in your family life, change in the wider community, change coming in from the outside. So we, we have to learn techniques to deal with it. So embracing change uh, was very much written um, really with the view that I have almost four decades as a, as a family doctor helping people through all aspects of their lives from, from the time of having a new baby all the way to children going to college to getting your first job, romantic relationships, family problems, breakups, relationship difficulties, retirement, aging, death. So all the, the reality of life. It, it almost goes on in front of our eyes. And at every step of that journey, we will be asked to make changes and to adapt. So really important to have some sensible, pragmatic techniques mm -hmm. to manage that change. OK, let's take an example. So the message I got the other day from someone was saying, I have this strong feeling that I should leave my job, but I'm terrified to make that change. Maybe they'd already considered other options. Maybe there was something on the table that they've been offered. That seems to be a really common change that people confront, that we'll all confront at some point in our lives, making a change in our working life. And the fear of what if this is worse than where I am now? What if I fail? What if I regret my decision? And that did happen to me where I did make a change and I instantly regretted it. I think, Caroline, that's a fantastic example. So there are that type of change, in my experience, affects people in one of two ways. The first one is that we get anxious. So if I'm thinking of making this change, I start to uh, get incredibly anxious. And if you think about it, what's behind that, the thinking behind that is I must be absolutely certain that if I make this change, it's going to work out. And then I start to demand, well, what would happen, how terrible it would be, I catastrophize if it were not to work. And then I start rating myself as, imagine if I made a change and it didn't work. I'd feel such a failure. So the, behind that anxiety is really a demand for control. So I want absolute certainty if I make this change. And we can't get that certainty. And of course, there's no such thing as we talked so often before. Uh, there's no such thing as 100% certainty in life or indeed in anything. So what happens is if we if all that we can do, the very best that we can do at any moment in time is to make the best decision we can at that moment in time. And I would suggest to people in that situation, get out your pen and paper, try and do this on paper, get it out of your emotional mind and look at the pros and the cons of making this decision. 
And then um, based on that decision, you have to make the best decision you can at that moment. Can we be like regret is very much uh, we do this in the book. We, we often regret decisions, but regret regretting is very much about um, I, I want to make a different decision when it doesn't work out. So I'd prefer if it didn't, if it had worked out differently. Um, but I spend all my time going back and saying, if only. It's, it, I regret is about the if only. Mm-hmm. Guilt is really where it's much more serious, where I'm demanding I absolutely shouldn't have made that change. But regret is more, you know, I prefer if I didn't make that change. But it's always about wanting to rewrite the tape. Okay. So the reality of life is, here's a great line for everybody. You know, in life, we can only make a decision at any particular moment in time based on two things, the information that I have at that moment in time and the emotional state that I'm in at that time. That's two wonderful lines to keep in your mind. So that's your logic and your gut instinct, I suppose, is it? Yes. Yeah. So if, for example, I've looked at the pros and cons on paper and the pros... Uh, definitely seem to outweigh, well, then go with it and and, and and accept that in life we have to cede control. You know, we, we, can, we can't control all the realities. We can't control all the things that might happen. If it feels like the right thing at that moment in time, go for it. The only thing I would say to people is the only mistake you can ever make in life is, is to stay stuck, is to say, to get, to become so fearful that I never make a decision, that I don't go out there and try things. Who cares if it fails? You see, you know, failure is part of life, Caroline. It's an inevitable part of life. We can only, you know, we can we, we do the best we can. But, you know, no matter what happens, we're going to mess up every now and then. Sometimes we make the wrong decision. You know, welcome to real life. The bigger failure is actually to do nothing. The bigger failure is to be so afraid and try to control so much that we end up doing nothing. Do you think that most of the anxiety in this, when it comes to this kind of change that requires personal action do you think most of the anxiety exists in the before and the anticipation and people are anticipating that the anxiety will come when they make the change but actually it's never going to be as bad as you think anxiety wise yes because we do catastrophizing you know what we actually do in our heads um caroline is that we start to visualize all the things that could possibly go wrong since 90 percent of what we worry about never happens that means we spend a huge amount of time worrying about something that mightn't actually happen at all. So uh, a great way of looking like that is write it down on paper again and ask yourself, is this like a, a drop of spilled milk or a puddle? In other words, have I definite proof that this is definitely not going to work or is it just a theoretical possibility? But I, I think the, I think it's important that we talk about the second one, uh, Caroline, because this is the one that we never talk about. Uh, I, I, I was chatting to somebody yesterday and I described this as the, uh, and I talked about it on Claire Byrne one time, as the greatest hidden emotion in mental health. And it's all the time misplaced with anxiety. And there will be people listening here today who can immediately, you know, click into exactly what I'm talking about. That there's a difference between frustration and anxiety. And this difference is very important when we're making the decision in relation to uh, a job, for example. Some people will not make the change because they're so fearful that they will make an error, that it's the wrong decision. But there are other people who are frustrated in their situation. And frustration is a different um, emotion altogether. And it's the situation that's making us anxious, not a demand we're putting on ourselves. So the thinking behind frustration is, I want the situation to change 
I want people to change. I want life to change, but I don't really want to change myself. And the second part of frustration, I don't really want any, uh, I don't want to suffer any discomfort. So you love a person, and I've had this regularly, and I, I talked about this um, in, in emotional change, and I think it's in embracing or emotion, emotion resilience and embracing change. I, I, I will regularly meet people who, for example, are stuck in a job. They're absolutely frustrated. They hate the job. They, they don't get on with the people they're working with. Uh, they constantly look around and say, you know, why, is, why won't everybody else at, at work change? Why isn't it not more interesting? Instead of uh, turning around and saying, hold on a minute now, the only person who can change here is me. The job's not going to change. The people I'm working with aren't going to change. So the only person can change is me. So therefore, if I, if I want this situation to change, I, I have two, uh, there are two parts to this. The first one is that I, 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 I may have to accept that it may take time. So therefore, I'm going to have to accept that the job I'm in is giving me an income, giving me a place to go every day. Uh, allow me to look after my family or whatever. Um, and secondly, uh, that if I want to change out of this situation, I'm going to have to research properly and find another work, uh, find another area of, uh, of employment or else go back and do a bit of um, uh, retraining. And I, I had a very similar case to this, Caroline, and the person actually went back and did a bit of retraining and, got, and, and, and came away with a much better job. They're totally happy there now. So try and remember that, that the two big reasons why we, 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 we're a, we, we kind of get uneasy about making a decision in relation to a, a job is either anxiety that we're, we want it to be, we want it to be perfect, we want to be absolutely certain that this is going to be the right move, or frustration is why the hell should I go through all that hassle uh, you know, it's going to be so much hassle if I have to find another job and start all over again. Yes, but if you want your long-term gain, because that's what you're trying to do, uh, you're trying to avoid short-term pain, but if you want the long-term gain, you're going to have to go through it. So really important. There are two great examples, by the way, of embracing change in practice. Talk to me about the power of just even making a decision and asserting yourself. Surely that has to bring the anxiety down to some degree because you are putting yourself in the driving seat of your life. Yeah, I, 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 I think one of the worries I, I, I sense there, Caroline, is when you talk about that is, again, you're back to this concept of control. Yeah. And that worries me slightly. Okay. Because I, I, I would prefer because this the 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 implication there is that if I do something, I will be back in control. The reality of life, Caroline, is that as we've seen with the pandemic, is at every stage of life, uh, life can suddenly spin out of control. So, in other words, um, a better way to do it is to say, look, I prefer to make the right decision in relation to, say, a new job, uh, but this is out of my control. In other words, I can do my very best. I can make all the right um, uh, decisions. I can, I can try to do this the correct way, but I have no control over the actual result at the end. However, in the law of averages, it's all about the percentages. Most of the time, if we do good research, we make good decisions and it works out. But we cannot ever be in control of what actually might happen. And regret is about wanting to go back and rewrite that tip, you know. And in real life, we can't. We have to accept, look, we have to make decisions. We have to get on with life. And we have to adapt to whatever happens. And that's the real key, learning to adapt when it doesn't go our way. 
And do you remember the coin exercise that I talked about before? I think. In, yes. Yes. Uh, for those who haven't uh, heard about it, if, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with the whole idea of how do I seed control? Well, here's a great exercise to do for anybody out there who's very, very anxious or your children are anxious Do with your children. Uh, list off 10 things you love doing every day, then get a coin and heads on the coin is heads means yes and tails means no. And for every solitary thing, like let's say you're watching a Netflix series, every solitary episode, every day, you have to toss a coin. Heads you can watch it, tails you miss it, and you can't watch it and repeat. And that goes right through all the things you love doing every day. And you do this for four weeks. Well, I'll tell you at the end of four weeks, you will be tearing your hair out <laughs> because it's a 50-50 chance all the time. Sometimes it's going to go my way and sometimes it's not going to go my way. And that's what real life is like. OK, but we become more used to the idea of things not working out. Exactly, because the reason we look for control in big things, Caroline, is because we foolishly think we control our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. We think that we have absolute control. But suppose, Caroline, you were all set to go out today, you all your shopping planned and you knew exactly what you're going to do. And you walk out and you've, you have a flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> now, suddenly, all of your plans and ideas and control are going out the, out the window because that's what real life does to us. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah, you come out I know and, suddenly the, and suddenly the car battery goes flat. Or uh, you walk down the door or, or you're just going out the door and your mum rings to say, oh, God, you're, you know, uh, I need you here immediately because there's an emergency. So life is like this. It's this nonstop series of having to adapt. And we stop being anxious uh, when we start to realise and we to cede control, to not look, to say, look, I'll do my best to organise things, uh, but that's as good as it's going to get. And if I, if I did that, stopped catastrophizing and stopped playing the rating game, uh, my goodness, my anxiety levels would come, come, come screaming down. Before we talk about the change that comes at us out of the blue, on the subject of, you know, making a decision yourself that involves a big life change, I think people put themselves under pressure to only think positive and only visualize it all working out and they deny and they suppress their worries and their negativities. And I think it's really important to unpack the worries. Like, what if it all goes wrong? What are you worried about? Let's talk about that. And for me, I always like to start with that. And then I bring in, okay, well, what if this actually does work out? And I find it's it's more Genuine. I would agree with just more genuine, but again, I would my 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 <laughs> my antenna would be going up there, Caroline. I wouldn't start with the catastrophizing. Okay. Uh, because if we catastrophize, well, we're we're kind of nearly starting by making ourselves anxious to begin with. Okay. Uh, whereas I would say no. Let's let's shift it out of our emotional mind onto paper. Now our rational mind can look at it. So I would have a, 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 you know, what are the positives and what are the negatives is a much healthier way of doing it. Okay. So I know what are the positive, um, um, pl- what's on the plus side? What would I gain if I were to make this change? And then on the other side, what could be the negatives if I were to make this change? And by doing that, that's you're evenly balancing the two. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah. not you're not jumping in and saying, no, I'm going to go straight to the catastrophizing. I'm going to go straight to all the things that. And I, yes, you're totally correct. It has to be good. Decision making is about looking honestly and rationally, rationally being the key word at the at the pros and the cons. And that's always better done on paper. The reason we do it on paper, Caroline, it's very important that we understand this is that our emotion mind is so much stronger than our rational mind. 
So if we try to work out in our mind, in our head, we'll always go for the catastrophizing. You know, we'll always go for the negative stuff first and it'll assume a bigger uh, place than it should. On the other hand, if we write it down, then our rational brain, which is coldly, brutally logical, whether we like it or not, it will logically go through Yes, that's an issue. That's an issue. Yes, that'll be a positive. That'll be a positive. And then at the end of it all, it's kind of looking at a plus and minus. Uh, and it becomes very clear in my experience uh, with most people what the decision is, because if the negatives hugely outweigh the positives, well, then common sense would say, well, this is not a good move at this moment in time. OK, uh, now maybe that situation might change in, in six months time. On the other hand, if it's quite clear that the positives are hugely outweighing the negatives, well then, okay, I've done my due diligence, I make a decision, and this is the secret to life, really. We have to accept that we have no control of what will happen when we make that decision. Uh, And that maybe it will work, and maybe it won't. Now, the chances are high, if I've done a good bit of due diligence, that it's much more likely it will work, but there's no certainties. And, and, and this, to me, is one of the most important things for resilience, for handling change, for adapting, is this ability to say, look, I'll make, I'll, I'll make the best decision I can, and then I'll go with it wherever it goes. In other words, if it works out, I'll go with it. And if it doesn't work out, well, then I'll have to re, re-look at it, re-adapt, reassess. And of course, the people who learn to be good at doing this find their anxiety levels dropping rapidly. They're not as frustrated about things and they make better decisions and they adapt better because life is, I can tell you, Caroline, all the way through, you know, you know, each person at a certain stage will be facing a set of problems for that stage of their life. Like, for example, if you're a young mother and you have small children and you have all the difficulties associated with that and keeping your relationship going, and trying to look after your children, bring them to school, all the difficulties in the middle of a pandemic particularly. Uh, Could I make one statement, Caroline, that all your listeners will really probably, I'd love you to write it down in relation to the pandemic. It's the situation that's abnormal, not you. Just write those lines. It's the situation that's abnormal, not you. The number of people that have said to me, that they're burnt out, they're not coping, they feel there's what's wrong with them. Everybody around them seems to be managing this much better than they are. Good luck. None of us are coping. We're all struggling. So really, really important uh, uh, in relation to the pandemic. So if you're anxious during the pandemic, that's normal. So stop abnormalizing yourself. It's the situation that's abnormal, not you. It's so true. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, let's talk about change that comes at us out of the blue, such as a pandemic, which hit us like a freight train. And then there's instances in life where they get tragic news or something as simple as you go out to, you've got your day planned and everything just goes out the window because you've got a flat tire. I find that I am far better. I'm, I'm far less likely to have an anxious response when things like that happen, because I do feel like, well, it's happened now. I can do nothing about it. Whereas my husband, for example, would be like, oh my God, this has gone wrong. And I don't know why, like I'm, I just respond more calmly when I can't have control, but when, when there's an inkling of maybe me having some control, that's where I get anxious. Yeah, that's very good. Um, I, I would probably slightly re, re, rephrase that, Carolyn. Uh, all of us have what we call trigger points. Yeah. And in, in other words, uh, we all, during we talked about these rational and irrational beliefs before, that we all have these ways of thinking about the world, which are either helpful or unhelpful. And if we're anxious, um, what we have is a new rational belief that I should be able to control life. I should be able to control things in life. If not, I'm a failure. Um, whereas, so what actually happens in real life is that certain triggers will get us and other ones don't. So what will bother your husband won't bother you and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Now, you might find that he goes out to the flat tire and his emotion is not anxiety. It could be total frustration, for example. Why the bloody hell would it have to happen at this moment in time? And that might be his response. So that's he's that's triggered his irrational belief that, you know, it shouldn't be like this. Whereas in your case, it's not triggering that. However, suppose you got um, a phone call from one of your friends to say that she she's developed breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you suddenly started to get very anxious about because she tells you about the chemotherapy and the surgery and how awful it is and the, and the real strain is putting on her relationship and her family. And, and suddenly you start, you know, in your head, catastrophizing. What would happen if I got breast cancer? How would I cope? And, you know, how would my family cope? And then I suddenly start to worry about it. And then I start to find myself maybe overchecking my breasts all the time or, uh, or maybe reading stuff uh, associated with that and spending more and more time visualizing it and worrying about it. So um, very often that might be the thing that triggers some people. Do you know? Now, other people, that mightn't be an issue, but it might be anything to do with financial security could be the issue. So the minute there's any kind of threat of any kind financially, they, they go into total meltdown. Do you know what I mean? They start to catastrophize and they get very, very anxious and they're, they're, they're rating themselves all the time because they should be in a better financial situation. So some people get very anxious about financial things. Some people are very anxious about health issues, other people about maybe family issues or relationship issues. So whatever your triggers are, and they will vary from person to person. So, I mean, you can probably guess from speaking to me so far that 
the root of any anxiety that I have been feeling certainly over the last year has been in, around a, like a real hard time letting go of things that happen or things that I can control. And just to give you an example, like one of the main sources for me has been, and I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this and what's happening to my body in that moment and how I maybe could approach it differently. But my baby was a terrible, terrible sleeper. He was up every few minutes. It was, it was really bad. And we got a sleep consultant and we worked really hard to help him learn to sleep. And he's in a routine and it's, you know, working really well for us. But I find that if that routine doesn't happen, or if, if I was to put him down to sleep for his nap and then the doorbell rings and it wakes him up, like I get such like I, I actually, my body is reacting far more acutely than the event deserves. Like I remember my husband said to me, when well, my parents dropped something outside a room when I just put them to bed, they were staying with us. And I was like, Jesus, oh my God. I was like, if they wake him up, like I'm going to go nuts. And he was like, Caroline, like you're reacting as if we're being bombed. Like the baby didn't even wake up. He's fine. Here's, here's a very interesting question though. Was your emotion at that time frustration or anxiety? I think it's anxiety because I have this constant fear that he's going to like unravel and, and unlearn everything he's learned. I feel like I'm being threatened. I feel a fear, an anxious response. I feel my chest tighten up. Right. Okay. So, so therefore, um, if you think about it, what you're doing there is you're demanding, I need, I mean, I, I want absolute certainty, 100% certainty that, that my child um, sleeps properly, doesn't wake up. And doesn't therefore wake me up. Is is the concern that is the concern that the child will wake up, or that that you would be woken up at night? Not really. I know. I think it's just the fear of. I, I think we're a bit traumatized by how hard it was in the beginning yes. and how yes. that really compromised our well being and how little sleep we got. That I'm and I don't want him waking up, and I also don't want us waking up. But it's more just the fear of going back into a situation that was quite stressful, even though we're not in that situation anymore. Good. Well, then what you're suffering there is actually a slight, believe it or not, post-traumatic uh, response. Okay. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, you, you, the, you had the traumatic experience of the child not sleeping. And it's not the child not sleeping. It's what it does to us. Yeah. We have to be honest. Uh, it means that we don't get sleep. Our relationship doesn't get sleep. Do you know what I mean? We don't get the normal rest. Do you know what I mean? And time. Yeah. Well, I was incredibly, incredibly anxious after having had my baby and it, it completely hit me by surprise. I did not expect to feel that way. And I was really shocked by it. So I have definitely been struggling with moving on from that now. But any hint of kind of going back there sends me into overdrive. So, so your danger, you always have to identify your danger. Yeah. Your danger really there. The reason you have to say, what is it about um anything happening that might make the child wake up that's causing me to feel anxious and the answer to that is the danger is that i would that it might return back to where we were mm. so if you think about it it's about it's not that it will return it's that it might return so so what we demand then is you know i must be absolutely certain that my child continues to sleep normally uh uh, if it doesn't, it's going to be absolutely awful. In other words, I start to catastrophize. Uh, and there is a, a, an element of, um, and if this happens, then I'm a failure for letting it happen. Do you know, in other words, yes. what did they allow happen? So um, what's happening is, do you remember I said to you about the triggers, that we all have a trigger? Having a new baby, Caroline, is one of the most shattering experiences yeah. of, of a couple's life. And anybody like I, I I remember one lady I was I was helping 
And I knew she was going to have difficulty. So I prepared her for three months before she had her baby. And I had her so well prepared that when the, uh, the reality hit, she came back to me and said, you know, thanks but God you had me so prepared because I could never have believed just how shattering it was. Yeah. You know, in other words, you know, let's face it, you have this little baby that has to be fed continuously. Uh, it's, it's, it's crying all the time. You're not getting any sleep. Do you know what I mean? You're up day and night. See, lack of sleep is the key, really, because if you don't get sleep, your brain doesn't recover, your body doesn't recover, and then you, you get more and more anxious. So you, what happened to you was, uh, you're, the reason your anxiety starts to rise was the less sleep you got, the more anxious you got. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you got into a vicious circle. So I think it's important there that there was a practical reason that you weren't getting enough sleep, for example. Oh, yeah, which we completely underestimate as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's important for, for women to kind of normalize that experience. So if you're feeling, Jesus, I'm the only woman who's not coping out there. Every All the other mothers seem to be coping. In fact, they're not. I've never met a mother yet who is honest, who didn't turn around and say, gee, it was absolutely awful. Yeah. <laughs> but in some ways, the first thing we have to do is normalize it for each other. In other words, all women got together and say, yes, it's a crap time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We love our children to bits, but my God, it's a very exhausting period of time. Um, so if you get a perfectly beautiful little baby who sleeps well and causes you no problems, good luck. Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Wait for number two. <laughs> so in those instances where something changes, like he gets unwell and then he's not able to sleep or, and I get this anxious response and okay, you're saying it's obviously some sort of post-traumatic response. What can I do in that moment? Cause I, I get very frazzled and it's for me, what it feels like is this like resistance to be like, Oh, I'm not able to control things right now. Yeah. Well, you see, we're back to control. Yeah. So what can I do in that moment? Well, the first, the first thing you have to do is you have to change from the child must sleep. That's the key. Your demand is, I must, the child must get its night's sleep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If it doesn't, it's going to be awful and, and I'm afraid of letting it happen. So you need to change that to, I would prefer if the child slept tonight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Put it out of my control. So in other words, there is a percentage chance realistically that if you take a, a X number of nights that uh, the child will sleep on X number of nights and on other nights, something will happen that will wake them up. So it's learning to kind of accept that uh, there is a percentage chance that there will be nights where it will go against me, a bit like the coin exercise. Remember the coin exercise? Yep. And there'll be nights where it'll go with me. And the chances are the longer time goes on, and because I have a little bit of the child in a good, um, uh, tech, in a good uh, rhythm now, the chances are probably getting better that it'll be more in my favor than against me. Yeah. But the reality is if I, if I, if I go to, if I go to bed and accept that there, there is always going to be a possibility that he might wake up. However, it, that he might just wake up for a short period. Do you know what I mean? And he might go back to sleep then. So in other words, it doesn't, you're catastrophizing, you're assuming that it will automatically go back to where it was. Yeah. And in reality, you, you don't have any proof that that's actually going to happen yeah. because it, the reality is as, as, as babies start to get uh, older, as they, you know, as the months go on, they definitely get more and more into a better rhythm. So you'll find most mothers will say first six months were nightmare. Next couple of months weren't too bad. Then it started to get a little bit better. Do you know what? So most, most mums by a year would say the worst is over by the year. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, so in other words, as time goes on, it will gradually improve. 
But the reason you're getting anxious is because you're demanding absolutely that it must not happen. And what you're doing then is you're hyping up your stress system. In other words, you're, you're kind of, you're nearly in the watchtower. You know, it's like scanning the environment, looking for the slightest sign that something might go wrong. That's exactly it. <laughs> Instead of saying, look, you know, um, I can't control all the possibilities. I can't control a car backfiring at three in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Or if the child is sleeping in the middle of the day that somebody doesn't ring the door. I can't control all those variables. So the best I can do is I prefer if it didn't happen. And in the majority of cases, this is the key, Caroline, it won't happen. Yeah. But there is a percentage chance that I have to accept that it might happen. And if I can learn to go with that percentage, then my anxiety levels drop. Do you see what I'm doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in other words, it's going, it's a bit like flooding, except you're doing it cognitively. Okay. Yeah. Flooding, you're going with the physical symptoms. Uh, here you're cognitively going with the reality. Of, so I know we have to adapt to the situation. You know, we can't control it completely. So what you're trying to do there is control all the variables. A, a lovely way of doing this is um, it, it, for somebody, I do this with people with uh, who have a bit of trauma. It's a bit like during the war when you were up in your watchtower and you were shining your searchlight over and back and you were absolutely certain that the enemy couldn't come into your camp because you had it all covered, you'd cover all the bases. But meanwhile, the enemy was quietly uh, burrowing a hole underneath you, mm-hmm. uh, burning a tunnel underneath you and coming up behind you. And the reality is that that's what happens to us in life. We're busy trying to make sure that one thing doesn't happen and then something happens completely unexpectedly. And that's why change is so challenging because we can't control all the variables. But if you want to reduce your anxiety, um, and I would say to all young mums, uh, learn to kind of go with it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And also, don't be afraid to look for help. If you're getting absolutely exhausted, that's normal. That's you're stressed out. Your, your body is stressed out. So don't be afraid to pull in, you know, the, the, the mum or a sibling or a good friend for a night. Do you know what I mean? Just to get a good night's sleep. Do you know what I mean? If you have to. I think I think women are terribly hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. This is a tough time. And we all need to put up the hand and say, I'm struggling here. And that's okay. And part of learning to embrace change properly is learning to say there are times when I'm going to have to put up the hand and look for a bit of help. In other words, that's that's adapting, you know. In other words, cope with what I can. And if I feel I need a bit of help, don't be afraid to put up the hand and say, I need a bit of help here. Before we wrap up, I want to give listeners just an idea of what to expect with the book. Yes. Well, the book, the book is broken up into... I tried to do it with what we call a pragmatic approach. So I asked five questions whenever you experience a period of change uh, and we break it up emotionally. So the first question is, you know, how did this change make me feel emotionally? And that will tell us that we felt anxious to be the commonest one, maybe a bit depressed, maybe certain cases it might make me feel ashamed if it was something that was that I thought other people would be talking about or thinking about. Uh, it might make me frustrated. It might make me feel sadness, like if I've lost somebody or regret. So we try to identify the emotion. And the book is broken up into individual chapters dealing with each of those emotions. Okay. Second, uh, The second question then is, uh, what is it about the situation that's making me feel this way? Like, for example, we were talking there uh, about the, the, the baby not sleeping. And what is it about that that was making you anxious? In other words, try and identify the, the 
you know, the, the danger in, in the case of anxiety. And then the third one is, uh, what in my thinking is, is, is preventing me from dealing with the situation? Uh, and of, of course, um, you know, it's my demand that I need absolute control in terms of anxiety. And what changes my behavior? Well, what do I do when I get very anxious? You know, I catastrophize, I ruminate, I seek reassurance all the time. Maybe I avoid in certain situations. Maybe I'm overprotective in other situations, like say in relation to the child. And, and then what changes my thinking behavior do we need to make to, to um, sort out the issue? So that's all about trying to change from, I demand, I absolutely must uh, have total control over something to say, look, I prefer something happen, but it's out of my control. Uh, and then what changes my thinking? So I applied that type of pragmatic thinking through each of the emotions. And then we deal with all of the periods of time during your life from, you know, your first relationship to a, a new job, to go to college, to having your first baby, uh, struggling with infertility, um, uh, maybe then going on uh, into the next phase of your life, maybe struggling with the menopause, maybe struggling with um, family issues, will, a lot of hurt and all those kind of issues. And then we move on to deal with things like, um, you know, aging and retirement and the empty nest syndrome for women in particular. And then that final part of life, you know, where we start to lose people, we struggle with grief and loss and sadness and regret. So all of life is in this book because that's what life is like. It's full of all these times of change. Mm. And we have to have all these different techniques to be able to, to manage those uh, periods of change. And, you know, it, it, if we could all learn to be more pragmatic and more adaptable, we'll handle these periods of change much better and they won't destroy us to the same degree that they do. So, for example, what we talked about in relation to young mums now here today, uh, how many young mums would benefit enormously by having a better understanding of what's happening and by challenging their thinking about it and making themselves feel a lot less frustrated, a lot less. A lot of, uh, of young mums, for example, feel very down because they compare themselves to other, other mums and they say, every other mum is doing very well and I'm here and I'm not coping at all. You know, when the reality is, of course, that all mums are struggling. And all mums are not coping. So it's stop rating yourself, stop being hard on yourself, be kind to yourself. So the book is very much about very much about being kind to yourself and trying to learn different ways of, of handling and coping with situations. Because remember, life is tough. Life is life is brutal, you know, uh, and, 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 we, and life is beautiful, but life is very hard and very tough. And um, uh, I don't know anybody, including myself, and maybe I'll finish with this little little um, cameo that, and I talk about it in the book. Um, you know, I'm I'm supposedly the professional expert in this area. And what did I how did I cope when my brother rang me at the age of 49, having come back from a nice break where I was very tired and I got a lovely break and I was in great form and it was the end of November. Uh, and he rang me to say, um, I've just been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and given six weeks to live. And he actually died uh, literally about six to eight weeks later. So, you know, the reality is it's all very well to talk about this in theory. But that was my experience in real life of having to 
having to make all those enormous changes and to walk with him on that journey, wow. you know, as, 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 as he was worrying about what it was, he was anxious about that his, his, his family, his, his wife and his teenage kids would be okay. And then we had to have these discussions on, well, what was life about and what was death about? And so, you know, that's, that's the reality of life. So none of us escape. It doesn't matter who we are. I had to face it, you'll have to face it, and each person listening to will have to face these particular periods of life. And, you know, in many ways, it's, they're, 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 they're part of the experiences which make us. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really important that we don't run away from them, that we don't get afraid of them, that we have to learn to, to face them and learn to manage them and deal with them. And, you know, I grew out of that experience and every person listening to me every time to go through a period of change will learn and will grow and will get stronger in some ways as a result of it and that's that's the great message of of change that we shouldn't be afraid of it we should learn to kind of manage it embrace it and 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 let it teach us and and if we do that you know my goodness um we will be our mental well-being will be so much stronger Dr. Harry Barry, thank you so much for sharing so much insight and particularly the practical tools, tips and tricks. I think it's always great to have something that the listener can take away and apply today. I certainly will be questioning my my demand of certainty in a world where you can't get that. So thank you for helping me through some of the anxieties that I've been feeling and giving us a really interesting perspective on on change which as you say is such a natural part of life and makes us who we are and yeah i hope it's been helpful for listeners and i thank you so much for joining me again and hopefully i'm sure you've got another 20 books in the works you'll come back and join me for another topic at another time i, I will of course caroline will i think i have uh, one coming out in 2023 that i'm doing at the moment believe it or not i think it will be my 11th book i think so wow. um i will of course i'll be delighted to to join you again thank you so much Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.